Good morning. It's a joy to open the word with you this morning. Turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. Please stand with me. And now that you've stood, would you all move forward? I'm serious. Would you move forward? I, I don't, I want, to, I want to be able to see Mark Przlowski's eyes. Come on, Mark, come. We're not having an altar, Carl. Come on, you can come. Just come forward. It's an all new world on this front area. And so if you're a little child, you're still in the back because you're behind everybody else, but you're in the front. This is great. Okay, good. Now that you are with me, now you can be seated. Thank you. First John 2, 18 through 29. I, I typically like to take smaller passages of scripture, but this one really begs to uh, pull through the end of the chapter. As we've studied the, the book of First John, I hope that it has become clear to you of John's desire for writing this book. He states it a couple times in the book, but just for simplicity's sake, and I, I don't think I'm putting it too simply, um, certainly it can be fleshed out in a greater way, but he simply desires that we would be sure of our salvation. He's writing to the New Testament believer, he's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he simply wants to make sure that they are sure, confident of their salvation. And so he's given some tests of faith. And we've already looked at two of them, and we're going to look at a third this morning. But let's look back a little bit here. Go with me to the 1 John 2, 3 through 6. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The first test could be stated as it's the moral test of our faith. Will we keep his commandments? The second test is found in verses 1 through 11, but more specifically in 8 through 11. Look with me there. 1 John 2, 8 through 11. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The second test is the, the love test. Do we love Christ? Do we love our neighbor? And then we looked at last week, do we not love the world? Do not love the world. The third test that we see today is the test of doctrine. The test of doctrine. And I remember when I was growing up in church and they would say a big word like doctrine. And as a child, I thought, what in the world does that mean? And so little children, or if you're a child here today, don't know what that word means. It simply means belief. So if I were to say to you, the, the Bible doctrine of salvation, I'm simply telling you, this is the Bible's 
teaching or Bible's belief on salvation. If I were to say to you the doctrine of creation, I would mean someone's belief of how creation came into being. Unfortunately, though, one's doctrine, one's belief does not guarantee that that will be true. It's not guaranteed that doctrine will be true. And that's the test that we see in today's passage, where we hold to true doctrine. Will we abandon it for false teaching and false doctrine, or we hold to that which will be true, and that true doctrine giving us the ability to hold fast to the end? There is a tone, a flavor over 18 through 29, and I want you to look at it with me in verse 18. John writes, Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared, from this we know that it is the last hour. What does he mean by this last hour? I think there's two meanings. One, that it means the last hour in that we are in the last days. Now, you're sitting here thinking, well, John wrote this. This was many, many, many years ago, and we're still going. That was the longest hour. But what he's meaning is, once Christ died, that work accomplished, was risen, everything else going forward is the waiting, the last thing we have to wait for was his, last thing we saw was his dying and resurrection, and now we're waiting for his appearing. So in that sense, it's the last hour. I also think it's the other sense that John is at the end of his life in many ways. And so in that sense, he's saying, this is This is my last hour. This is the last days. This could be your last hour. So there's a tone, there's a sense of urgency with which the Apostle John is writing here. And it's it's really, as a a parent gets their message across, oftentimes with a tone of their voice, John is seeking to get his message across to the New Testament believers about salvation, that it's not a trivial matter. That life is short, that Christ is risen, that he will return. That as believers in Christ, the importance of our relationship with Christ is of life and death. And that we do not know when life will end. Hebrews 9.27 is appointed once for man to die and after that the judgment. To understand, to help the church understand that uh, lives are at stake here with this false doctrine and true doctrine. And that we're not to be a flippant about that doctrine. But that the doctrine that you hold to, that the doctrine I hold to, and that the doctrine we live by will be a determining factor on that last day. And so John implores them, understand there is a sense of urgency by which you need to approach the truth, approach your belief, especially in salvation. There are some very interesting verses in this passage that if we're taken out of context would be very confusing as it pertains to the rest of Scripture. You can see one of them in verse 27. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. Great. I've been wanting to go home anyway and take a nap. Let's all get up and go, because there's no reason to sit here and have anybody teach me. I've got Christ. There's no one else. So, and there's, there's a couple other passages here. So I want to to help us by looking at some historical context of this 1 John passage because that's going to give us some greater understanding about the confusion that may arise from some of those um, passages. First of all, um, John is speaking to the church at Ephesus 
and there was a lot of untruth in Ephesus. And the church was in the middle of a really a vile culture. And as it is with any church that's in a vile culture, there's a tendency for that filth of sin, the filth of false teaching to bleed in. So John is speaking to them and he's speaking to them of, of false teaching. He's speaking to them of the Antichrist. Now, we, it's not the, as in singular, Antichrist that John speaks about in Revelation. Notice, he says, Antichrist have appeared. He's speaking of false teachers. Those that do the devil's bidding and not God's will. Anti meaning to oppose, to oppose Christ. And he gives us a definition of an Antichrist in verse 22. Look at it with me. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. And that opposing Christ comes in many different forms and fashions. There's the opposing Christ by teaching a different Christ, small c. Meaning there's a different Messiah, there's a different way to salvation. The the Reformers, especially Calvin, would have said Catholicism. A different way to reach God other than the one true Christ. And there's certainly other false religions. But I think Catholicism would be the strongest here. You could have, they could be opposing Christ by teaching that there is no Christ. No, in our day, atheism. No God, no Christ. They could oppose Christ, Antichrist, by teaching a false Christ. That he's fully man but not God, so he's a a prophet, but he's not fully God. Or he's fully God, but he's not really a man. And it's this last one that was seen most prevalently in John's day. It's the false teaching referred to as, I'm going to miss this, docetism. And if you think I pronounced it wrong, I probably did, so go look it up. D-O-C-E-T-I-S-M. And broadly it's taken as the belief that Jesus only seemed to be human, but that his human form was an illusion. He looked like he was really there, but he really wasn't there. And John addresses this. Go with me in your Bibles to Second John, just a page or two over. Second John 1, 7 through 11. He says this, look at this. For many believers, for many deceivers, excuse me, have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. So he's, he's directly giving the truth in the face of this falsehood. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what you have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far, anyone who goes ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, meaning the truth of Christ as incarnate, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Docetism, the belief that Jesus only seemed human. But there was a second type of false teaching, Gnosticism. And Gnosticism, meaning knowledge. The Gnostics believed that they were privy to a secret knowledge about God and it wasn't given to them, it came from within them. That certain people had certain knowledge that no one else had about God, Christ, and the right way to live. Now, getting out from 
the big words here. Simply put, there were people in this day who believed and taught within the church and from without the church alternative ways to know God and that Jesus wasn't truly the son of man. And for that day, there was really two strong levels of false teaching. And unfortunately for our day, we're not confined to just two and that there are very many more. But John warns us, look with me back in 1 John 2 there. He warns the church. Verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. My Bible has really in italics, meaning it wasn't in the original Greek, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. He's warning us. He's warning us today that we have a a foe that ultimately defeated is still, though under the control of God, roaming about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And God allows him to do that to test the church. You see that in verse 19. They went out from us, but they're not really of us, but if they had been of us, they would have remained with us to test the church. John instructs those Instructs us, therefore, to be aware of those that oppose Christ, false teachers, those within the church and those without. And it's been said, and I would agree with it, that the greatest danger to the church today is not from without, but is from within. Whether we take a a false, a, a true teaching and twist it just slightly. They went out from us, but they were not of us. Meaning at one time they were with us, but they were not truly with us. They were not truly in the faith. Those that are true Christians will remain. Those that are not will fall away. The most subtle and deceiving doctrines are those that take the truth of Scripture and twist it slightly to fit the evil intentions of the heart. Notice in verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. That this false teaching back in his day and in our day and the false teachers of that day and our day is an active force. They are trying to deceive you. It's not a dormant force. The enemy of your soul desires your soul to be his if it's not Christ. And if it is Christ, he desires to inhibit the work of Christ through you to the best of his ability. We should not be surprised at false teaching or teachers, but beware of false teachers. There's many types of false teaching that is today. I wrote down a couple of them. That scripture is not inerrant. He is not perfect. And, and some of these... Are, are false teaching that is within the church. You can go on a website and read the church's doctrinal stance and they'll say, we do not believe in the inerrancy of scripture. That scripture is not sufficient and we need something else added to this to really understand how to live our life. Scripture doesn't have everything that we need for life and godliness. That you can obtain salvation by works. That Christ can be your savior but you don't have to accept him as Lord. That grace is free and enables you free reign of this life. The prosperity gospel. Antinomianism. This thought that because Christ came to fulfill the law, all the law is gone. We don't have to adhere to any law. We're anti-law. We're opposed to the moral law. 
postmodernism. There's no absolutes. Everything's relative. There's, some of these are very subtle and some of these are black and white. But the enemy disguises them in subtle ways to make them seem as if they're close. And some of them are close. As the Apostle John taught his children the church the truth and warned them of false teaching by teaching the truth of Jesus Christ, one thought that came to my mind is fathers, heads of households, it is imperative that we teach our children the truth of Scripture. Because if if we don't teach them the truth... In so doing, by not teaching them, we're teaching them falsehood. If we do not teach our children the gospel at all by our lack of teaching, we are teaching a false gospel. And that's why family worship is something we value and we believe is of great importance to the home. It's where we as fathers take the necessary time to disciple our children in the truth. To teach them when they lie down, when they rise up, when they sit, when they walk in the way, to teach them God's truth. And it's a high calling, but it's not an easy one. Because there's all these things that pull at us. The desire to, to run the home, to provide for the home, to pursue business, business and provision for the family. To pursue power. Everything pulls, pulls against that. But go with me to Luke 4. Go with me to Luke chapter 4. Let's see the example of Christ as he withstood the temptation of the enemy and giving us then by his example the ability to do so as well through his grace and to see how he, he handled this false teaching that the same way we have got to do it as well. Jesus, verse 1 of Luke 4, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. The first thing we see is the Holy Spirit dwelt with him, and as we will see in this First John 2 passage, we have the Holy Spirit as true believers dwelling within us. So we have the same ability that Christ had. Though we are not perfect as he was, we have, that, we have the Holy Spirit within us. And he ate nothing during those, 40, those days. And when they ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Here's a temptation for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. You can see it all. It could all be yours. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship me, worship before me, it shall be all yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down for here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. Notice, notice the enemy's subtle twist of the truth. He uses scripture. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered and said to him, It is you. It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. And we've got to be, as fathers, strong in the truth and stand against this as Christ did, knowing that on this side, until the last day when Christ returns, there will be the Antichrist, there will be those that oppose Christ, there will be the enemy of our souls that will come looking for an opportune time to tempt us. 
to not teach, to not instruct, to not stand for the truth. Christ was filled with the Holy Spirit, so are we. Satan tempted with false teaching, he used the truth of Scripture. Christ used the truth of Scripture, so must we. Go back with me to 1 John 2. Look with me at verse 20 and 21. It's almost as if John is saying, now, I've come down hard here, and just in case you're having some qualms about whether or not you are a false teacher or not, but, verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. Now, see how the, the all knowledge part? That's playing back to the false teaching of Gnosticism. That you have it because of what's in you, the Holy Spirit. You don't have to have something. You don't have some special gift within you. You've been anointed. It's been given to you, placed on you, the Holy Spirit. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. How do we know the truth? How do we stand for the truth? How do we know the truth about salvation in Christ alone? Simply because God anointed us. He has given us the gift of life. He took our blind eyes and deaf ears and dead bodies and like Lazarus in the tomb, brought us to life. And not just life, he brought us to everlasting life. Life that has eyes to see the risen Christ is beautiful and marvelous. Life that has, eye, that has ears to hear the truth of Scripture and love it. Life that has ears to hear falsehood and know that it is not the truth. Why? Because it resonates off something within us, the Holy Spirit. John instructs us, look at verse with me in verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Well, where have we heard that before? Flip back one page, 1 John 2.13. 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. That which was from the beginning... Same word, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. There's the false teaching versus docetism. This thought that Christ was God, but he's not really man. First John 2, 13, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. This truth of Jesus Christ that is real, that has been given to us. Consider the truth that if you believe in Jesus Christ, the son of God, who came to earth fully God, yet fully man, came to earth in submission to the will of the Father, lived a perfect life here on earth as an example for us, who suffered beyond that which man could ever possibly comprehend or imagine and yet did not sin. That perfect Lamb of God who was slain for the foundation of the world for you and I, that if we by His grace and favor have that truth abiding in our hearts, is only because of His anointing. It's only because He gave that to us. And by his anointing, we have the truth that abides in us. We've not been left to know and figure it out in our own minds and figure out what is false, what is true. We've been given the Holy Spirit. Through him, we can know that which is true. We're to know the truth of God's word. Look with me at verse 22. Excuse me, verse 21. (coughs) Verse 21. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. 
We have the truth within us, but we are to be seeking to know the truth of God's word, to know the truth of who Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the Son of Man was and is. And it's interesting, if you study false religions, if, you're, if you like apologetics, all false teaching, all false truth goes astray at the person and work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, it really makes it quite easy when you're in a conversation with someone who is coming from a different belief system and you want to know, well, where do we really differ? Ask them, who is Jesus Christ and what did he do? And by what they say, you will very quickly be, gain, be able to gain an understanding of where you differ with them. Now, everything branches and there's, there's all these subtle things that can come into play, but they all go astray at the person and work of Jesus Christ. And, and less, that it, uh, less that knowing the truth and studying the truth seems a daunting task to make sure that you know it fully in order to be able to contend with those who stand for falsehood. We see in verse 20 this blessing of having the Holy Spirit within us that we do have all truth, that we are not perfectly smart, but we have all we need because of the Holy Spirit within us when it comes to the truth of Scripture, when it comes, when it comes to the truth of salvation, excuse me. We have all knowledge we need in the scriptures about the person and work of Jesus Christ. We see another blessing of the Holy Spirit in, standing, in, in knowing the truth in verse 27. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie. You can hear the greatest preachers of your day. You can read the greatest books in the day of the day. And yet when it comes to salvation, there is no greater teacher than Jesus Christ and you have the Holy Spirit within you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, John is simply saying that one blessing of the Holy Spirit is the blessing of knowing the teaching about and of Jesus Christ. God's anointing through the word teaches us all about Jesus Christ. And as a Christian, as we read his word, it resonates within us. The Holy Spirit confirms within us the truth we are reading. So because he knows us, because he abides in us by his anointing, we're to beware of false teaching, we're to know the truth, we're to study the truth, we should be about learning more and more of scripture. But then we're to abide in him. Look with me at verse 24. And this flows through the rest of the passage. As for you, let that abide in you which you have heard. Or the ESV would say, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Go to verse 27. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie just as it has taught you. Abide in him. That's a command, not a suggestion. Verse 28. And now little children abide in him. Because of him who has anointed us and abides in us, we are commanded to abide in him. That word abide means not to depart, not to leave, to continue to be present, to maintain unbroken fellowship with one, to adhere to his party. And that abiding in in the living Christ for the Christian is a requirement. 
You cannot be a Christian if you do not abide in Him. Why? Two reasons. The glory of God is at stake and the lives of people for eternity are at stake. Because if we do not abide in Him, as we will see here in a second, He cannot be in us because those that abide in Him practice righteousness, which we'll see here in just a second. And, as we saw verse, back at verse 18 and 19, if we do not abide in Him, then we are not really of Him. Look with me at verse 29. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. We know... We think, we know, we act, we practice, we live out our lives in the example of Jesus Christ. Because look at Luke 6.45, you don't need to go there, but Luke 6.45, and I like it in the NIV, it says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So if we're not abiding in Christ, then our mouth, then our lives are going to be filled with something else, which we saw last week, love of the world, and that is going to be what's going to come out of our mouths, Love of the world in our hearts can come out of our mouths and we will, be, we will not be teaching the truth in a way that will lead others to Christ and will give glory to God. And so this is why we can't play flippantly with any false teaching that we hear because it's coming out of a mouth that may be full of something else because lives are at stake for eternity and the glory of the risen Christ is being blasphemed. If we hear false teaching about Christ, we are to patiently and gently, and yet speaking the truth in love, stand for what we know to be true because of him who is within us. And if we're not abiding in him, he's not abiding in us. There's a truth here. There's the, there's the both sides of this salvation message that we only abide in him because he abides in us. But if we are not abiding in him, then something's not changed within us. Look again at verse 29. How do we do this abiding that will in turn allow us to be aware of false teaching and know the truth? How do we do that? Verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. We abide and we continue in the truth. We continue in Christ by his graceful anointing of abiding in you. We do that when Christ abides in us and we are born again, when he makes us a new creature, we cannot practice righteousness unless we have that grace through salvation. We cannot stand for truth and know truth from falsehood lest we have his grace in salvation. But it's a gracious gift, this anointing, this salvation. Because not only is it a gift, it's a motivation Look with me at verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Remember, remember the tone on this last day? We don't know our last day. It could be today. But whether by death or by the return of the reigning Christ, when he comes through him abiding in us, and therefore in turn giving us the ability and the grace to abide in him, we can, that word word in the Greek, confidence, parousia, literally means 
freedom in speaking, unreservedness in speech, meaning that when he comes, we can stand before him and unashamedly, with confidence, say, you are mine because I am yours. There's a, there's a confidence that comes through there. Because Jesus is the Christ, our belief assures us of eternal life. We saw that earlier. You can see that earlier in the passage. And it gives us this, this confidence, this strength, this freedom to unreservedly proclaim Christ. And what a, what, what a motivation that is to proclaim the truth. That it's not something that we did that has brought us to that righteousness. But to know that his righteousness alone is what will bring us rightly before the throne. To follow his ways, his truth, knowing that though I mess up, though I sin, his grace, the Holy Spirit within me, spurs me forward in holy living. Unless we pray, fall prey to the thinking that holy living is going to be enough to get us to heaven without the power of the Spirit, we see in this passage that the abiding in him because he abides in me is all that we need and have it gives us the freedom, the unreservedness to speak his name as my savior on that last day. And so that should give us the motivation to go let's, go, let's go tell the truth to this lost and dying world. So what about us today? Do you pass the third test of salvation, the test of doctrine? Do we know Jesus is there evidence of our, in our life of knowing Christ? If this last hour is my last hour or your last hour or if Christ was to come in eight minutes at 12, do you have confidence that you can stand before him and claim the blood of Christ as your own? Not because of anything that we have done, but because of his abiding in us and because of that, us abiding in him. Or do you doubt? Are you not sure? We can certainly be sure today. We can know the Savior today. He calls those that are His to come. Come to Him and plead His throne of grace for mercy to submit to ourselves, submit ourselves to His truth. So let's look at this passage one more time. Look at me at verse 18. Children is the last hour. Could be our last hour, but Christ will come again. So we are in these last days waiting for his appearing. Even now, many antichrists have come. Those that oppose Christ. And they went out from us, but they were not really of us. They're not true believers, but they looked like it. And there are those in the church. And this is John testing us here. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. The surety of our salvation that carries us all the way to the end of the day because of what Christ has done for us. But they were not true. They went out, 19, so that it would be shown that they are not all of us. Even, even now, Christ is separating the wheat from the tares. 20, but you have an anointing. Those that are Christ, those believers have an anointing this, by the Holy One. And we know Christ because of him knowing us. 21, I've not written to you because you do not know the truth. We, if you are a believer, you know the truth of Jesus Christ. But because you do know it, 
and because no lie is of the truth. Don't give yourself to false thinking. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Denies that Jesus is the Christ and is the only way, the truth, and the life. Denies that Jesus is the Christ and the only way to live in a way that is pleasing to him is according to Scripture. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which he himself made to us. And in 2 Timothy talks about, well, just, let's just go to 2 Timothy because you see the promise. Second Timothy two thirteen. It is starting in verse eleven. I'm going to start verse eight. Second Timothy two eight. Second Timothy two eight. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. That verse 13 is talking about those who are faithless to him. Christ will punish them because he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny his holiness. But look that... And the opposite side for us over here at 1 John 2. This is the promise which he himself made to us. Christ, God the Father, promising eternal life to those that he has anointed, to those he has given life. And he cannot go back on his promise. The surety of our salvation, eternal life is made sure not by our works, not by whether or not we do this well or not, but by whether or not Christ has given us life. And for those who have given life, he will keep us to the end. 26, these things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you. Christ abides in us as believers and you have no need for anyone to teach you. We do not need someone to, to give us some other false message to reach Christ. We have it according to Scripture. And Christ has appointed those who are apostles and elders and teachers and preachers in order to help us understand these truths in an even better way. And it is true and not a lie, just as it has taught you, you abide in Him. Now, little children, because of this, abide in Him. Continue in the faith so that when He appears, we may have confidence We may speak boldly, unashamedly, not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. If you know that he is righteous, then you know that his righteousness alone will carry you to the day and therefore continue in the faith. When I first studied this passage, my first thought went to stand against falsehood. 
really by the end of the passage, I think we can see clearly it's less of standing against falsehood and just abiding, continuing in the faith because of his abidance in us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the truth given to us here of your grace anointing upon us that gives us truth. You are the truth. You are the way. You are the life. Through Christ alone can, have we obtain, obtained our salvation. And that salvation is firm and fixed until that day. And may, Father, that give us as true believers confidence and boldness to proclaim the truth even when the world around us seems to be so given to falsehood, so given to pleasure, so given to alternative ways that appeal to the flesh of gaining God, and yet only through Christ can we do so. Father, may we take this exhortation of John, this command that because of what Christ has done for us, that he abides in us, we must, if we are true believers, abide in him. And Father, we thank you that your abiding in us guarantees that we can abide in you. And may we practice righteousness. Faithfully practice righteousness. Faithfully seek your face. Faithfully know the truth. Faithfully contradict falsehood. Not because of that righteousness, our righteousness, gaining us an audience before you, but because your righteousness alone is that which gives us the ability to stand boldly. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you, Lord, for your command to us. We thank you for your enabling of us to fulfill this command. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.